the law. Bill did a good job last week of kind of uh, introducing the Pentateuch, uh, took care of a lot of housekeeping details uh, where the Pentateuch was concerned. Um, and it is, and he said, the foundation of everything else that we're going to see in the whole rest of the scriptures. The foundation is there. It's been part of that for, for the entire time, only we didn't see it quite the same way um, at the time. The themes in the Pentateuch, um, there are threads of themes going through. There are covenants that are going to be made, um, and we're going to take a look at some of them. We don't have enough time to really develop them well. Um, we're going to see that God sort of superimposes these into the lives of the people and the events that are going to happen in the Pentateuch. Um, he's, going to, he's going to tell us, and we're going to learn very quickly, that God's bottom line is always his glory. It's, a, it's to make his name great and to, to proclaim his glory, and we're going to see that through types and shadows. You all, you all, everybody's familiar with types? Everybody understands what types are? All right. And so we're going to see this um, in just a little bit. We're going to kind of blast through this. I've not I have not practiced the short version, so uh, we, we may be a bit uh, disjointed here. Um, the big theme of the story here, all, obviously of the Bible, is God's redemption of a sinful people through his, the life, death and resurrection of Christ. That's the story that goes through the whole Bible. We're going to see other themes, though, that are sort of ancillary to that. Uh, we're going to see that all the pictures of all the things he does is going to be about Jesus. Jesus is the bottom line in all of these things. Um, and the big theme is found in Genesis 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. And I think what, this is one of the scriptures uh, that I think we'll read uh, because uh, somebody give me Look that up for us and read it quickly for us. All right, who's got it? Who's willing to read it? Yeah, John. All right, and so this is known as, Larry, you know what covenant this is? The Abrahamic covenant, right? This is how, the, everything else he does somehow is going to be affected by this verse, right? Somehow everything is going to come back to this. And so as we move on, um, we're going to see that the Pentateuch establishes the nature of God. Who is this God that uh, we're dealing with here. Because prior to this, the people were, were largely pagan. Uh, they, and a pagan is someone or a, a religious system that worships the things of nature and natural events and things like this. And so we see, uh, well, the Egyptians and the, and the pagan cultures on the Saudi, uh, the Arabian Peninsula. Um, let's do it. We're going to do a couple other ones. Let's go. Uh, somebody get Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. Uh, I'm going to read these out. Somebody just grab these and we're just going to kind of read them in fairly quick succession. Um, 
Exodus 3, 1 through 6. Let's give me Genesis 1, 26 and 3, 22. And then Genesis 3, 15. And uh, we're going to kind of go through these. Uh, uh, who's got 19? Uh, yeah. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Yeah, right. God's number one characteristic is his holiness. That's the thing that sets him apart from everything else. It's not principally that he's a loving God, although he is. The principal thing is his holiness. It's why everything else, it's why the law is important. It's why breaking the law, the law is the, sort of the perfect expression of the character of God. It's why breaking the law is bad. It's why we're going to need a savior, by the way, is that God is not saving us from Satan. He's not principally saving us from ourselves. He's saving us from himself because he's the one who's going to be the judge. He's the one that's going to send us to hell, not the devil. And so this is why the gospel is so powerful, because it deals, it's this mediation and it's redemption where he's concerned. Uh, what was the next one I gave you, three, one, and six? Anybody? Because the mind's not open. Uh, am I gonna, I'm going to pick, I'm going to have to pick a volunteer. I have to do this in class all the time. <laughs> I have to, you have it? Yeah. Okay, go through six. Um, and the woman said to the serpent, when they eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, for God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was Okay, so we see a picture of the fall. Prior to this, we see the Adamic covenant, which says, of all the trees uh, and all the fruit, all this in the garden, you can eat. Just don't do this one, right? Uh, this provision was there uh, in creation. The provision was there for our, our well-being and, and to live in a relationship that was right with God. And then we see the fall here. Uh, prior to that, did I uh, ask for 126? Did I do that? I think I did. Yeah. Um, Alex, would you read that? Okay, so, and we see also later on, uh, we're going to see, because we see this picture that we find out that God exists. Uh, it doesn't at this point say he's a triune God. We can by later inferences in the scripture. It does say that there is more than one person in the Godhead here. Let us 
make man in our own image. Later on, he's going to say, let us go down and confuse their languages when they're talking about Babel. Um, so we see that this is not uh, a God that's limited as we often think. We're going to, and from this, we'll be able to see through, the, through, the to- through time and scripture that um, he is a, one God with one essence who exists in three persons. So the doctrine of the Trinity is established very early on um, in the scriptures. Uh, later, he's uh, in 3.15. I'm just going to kind of get moving because we need to. What time is it? You're you, you scared me. <laughs> it's what? 9.41. 41. Okay. Tyler told me to keep it to two hours. <laughs> so um, we're, we're going to see that immediately after within, within a few verses of this fall, God has already got the plan. And we're going to see this thing that's known in theological circles as the proto-gospel. I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. Right? And uh, you will crush him on the head and he will bruise you on the heel. Um, and he's already made uh, these plans. And then we're going we're gonna, to, as we keep going, we see that God... Uh, makes choices. He's going to choose Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. He's going to uh, he's going to make Isaac the son of promise because we've just seen this in in the Abrahamic covenant. It's the it's going to come through your line. It's coming through your line. Uh, we're going to see he's going to choose Jacob over Esau. Later on, we're going to, and, you know, normally it was the older brother who was the one through the, who the promise would go. In this case, it's not true. Jacob wasn't the older brother. But we see later on, Paul's going to address the choices of God, and he's going to say that the older will serve the younger. Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. And, uh, well, we're not going to go into that. That's another story. <laughs> so then we see Joseph. Why does he, it's like, why does God do something? Why does God choose what he chooses? Why does he, why, why does he do that? John, why does he do that? What's that? For his glory. Why else? Sorry, you're my timekeeper. I shouldn't have done that to you. You said you would be that. Why does he, why does he do what he does? For his what? For his good pleasure. He does it because he wants to. You know, there's a, there's a scripture in the Psalms that said, you know, because when we sort of take exception to things like that, it's like, well, you think you're enti- that I'm entirely like you. That's foolishness. And so we see all this time. We see it goes, you know, Moses. Why Moses? You know, why all these people? It's because he is for his good pleasure and to glorify his name. Uh, we see types of Christ also in the Pentateuch, Adam. You know, Christ is said to be the second Adam. Uh, the ark, as in Noah and, uh, the ark is a type of Christ, right? Because what was the purpose of the ark? Yeah, it's to save them, right? It was, it was and that was it. What's that? Is to save Noah and his family, and just like the ark saved Noah and his family, Christ 
It's a picture of what Christ is going to do for us. And the ark is kind of cool because not only does God say, and then you're going to take two of every, you know, whatever, and I, you kind of picture like Noah sending his sons out in the bush or wherever they're going to go and go, okay, I need, I need two uh, of these pronghorns. Look, they got stripes. They, and so uh, God brings him to the ark. Wasn't like Noah was some great genius, right? He's, and who shuts the door? God shuts the door. That's pretty sweet. Uh, Melchizedek, the priest everybody knows about, but none of us know very little about, very much about him, but he is, thought, he is the priest forever. Christ is the priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, the scriptures. Isaac, uh, Isaac was the son of promise, just like Jesus is the son of promise. Joseph, one of my favorite stories is this savior, this redeemer of his people. And it's going to be, and it's kind of, we're going to talk a little bit here as we, we, at the end here, where we're going to see how God is going to use some pictures of, of Joseph to get people in to Egypt and kind of set up the ultimate mic drop on Pharaoh. And it's going to be, it's going to be neat. Uh, Moses as the giver of the law and the mediator between God and the people. Um, we're going to see in Numbers when the people were grumbling and God sent snakes, poisonous snakes through the people. And, you know, they come to him, help us, whatever. They, they build this bronze serpent and they put it on a pole. And everyone who's bitten... As you look up to that serpent that has been lifted up, if you, as you look up and see it, you will, you will be unhurt. It says, even as the Son of Man is lifted up, right? That's what Jesus words himself. And so we're seeing all these really awesome pictures as we're going through. Um, let's move on. Let's, um, all right, so as I, as I mentioned here next, uh, we're not very far into this whole uh, narrative, though, before we see the fall. We've seen the creation. We've seen the fall. He's pronounced a curse on the man. But then he provides that way out, which we already have mentioned. So let me, let me do this for a second. I want you to think about eternity. All right? And when you think of eternity, what do you think of? What do you think of? If you say eternity... What, what, where are you going? Like forever. Like forever, right? Forever. Eternity. What do you think of when you're saying this? Yeah, you. Yeah, baby. Oh, no? Surely you've got something to say. All right. Being with Jesus. Yeah. Okay, you can't imagine it. Yeah, it does. And so how about this? When we think, and I'll ask my students this sometime, I'll tell you, when you, tell me something about eternity. Well, it's going to last for a long time, and it's all the same things have been said, but when they think of eternity, they're mostly thinking of eternity from here forward. All right, you ready to blow your mind? You know there's eternity past, and that we were in the hearts and minds of God 
before time began, the scriptures tell us. And all this is like, and we're, I can't even do what I'm supposed to do this afternoon. Yet we've got this plan of God that has been, and all this is kind of figured into this, and this eternal nature of how God does it. Um, okay, what's my time? Just eight, just ten of. Okay. Now these questions are gonna get harder. For me. All right. Um, all right. So what I would like to do here is let's kind of take a look at how God is going to use these types and shadows as we kind of go through. Because we've already seen He's going to establish His law, and then He's going to sort of reestablish His law. He's going to, we're going to see the Abrahamic covenant, and then a couple chapters later, he's going to do it again. Or in Deuteronomy, he'll do it again. And we see this thing where he's just going, just making sure we got it down, right? So, we, in the picture of Abraham and Isaac, one of my, it's just such a, a great, great story. Um, and I'll, I'll abridge this considerably. Uh, but we see the picture of Abraham. After all these years, he now has the son that God promised him, not the one that Abraham kind of messed up. And they're walking. God's, God tells Abraham, and Abraham doesn't tell Isaac this yet, to sacrifice your son. I'm going to test you to see how much you love me, how much you obey me. Because this is the other thing is, it's the law and obedience is another theme that's going in there. Just because there's grace and all that doesn't mean we're still not accountable to the law. Uh, so they're walking up. Father, I see the wood for the fire. But what's he not see? What, what's Isaac not seeing? Yeah, where's the sacrifice? Where's the sacrifice? And what does, what does Abraham tell him? God is going to provide it. And God would have provided it even if there wasn't a ram in the thicket because something he, whatever he did, he would do. So they go up to Mount Moriah. Isaac is bound. He's laid on the altar. He raises his hand, and the angel of the Lord stays his hand from this execution of his son, this sacrifice. He's provided for the ram in the thicket. I think I was, I was in the background for uh, the ladies' Bible study, which incidentally, I've been in a couple of times. It's awesome. You guys are killing it. If, you, if you're involved in it, you're doing a great job. But someone mentioned uh, when Abraham, Abraham and Isaac are walking up one side of the mountain, God's got this ram coming up the other side. And so they provide this ram. But here's the really cool part. 2,000 2, years later, on the same mountain, there's going to be a sacrifice that God's hand will not be stayed. Isn't that awesome? It's the same mountain. I wouldn't be surprised that when it's all, all the dust kind of settles and we're up there going, it was the same spot, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, I would believe that. I would think that would be very cool. Uh, we see Jacob. Uh, establishing the 12 tribes. Um, 
and then we kind of, I love, I love this next part where, where uh, Joseph is one, one of his sons. And Joseph is such a great type of Christ because he's such a redeemer of his people. He's, he's mistreated, and this is where he's, there's lots of similarities between Joseph and Christ himself, right? Uh, he's mistreated by his brothers, mistreated by his other people. He's going to act as the savior uh, and essentially judge of his brothers or anyone else, right? He goes in there, he goes into Pharaoh's house by, um, by uh, just acting according to God's laws and things, and he becomes the number two guy, the head vizier in all of Egypt. He, he's, he's the reason that the Israelites go to Egypt because God is going to send a famine, and because he's also given Joseph this vision about how to fix it, they're going to, they're going to go into Egypt. And what God is doing is, in addition to giving us this picture of how he's going to just redeem his brothers and this, this reconciliation that's going to happen between, in his, in a, in a, between his brothers and him, it's also this reconciliation between God and us. And he's going to use this to set up, I think, the most powerful metaphor. It's not even a metaphor. It's a type. It's beyond that of how they leave, how they leave Egypt. And so they're going to be there for a number of, I don't remember what time it is. I don't know, a couple generations probably or several generations. Anybody know? Blake, you know how long they're in Egypt before the Exodus? Okay, so it's lots of, it's, that's, you know. That's a long time, right? So they, they come in, and there's like a hundred of them, right? They're just not very big. They come in, and 400 years later, there's over 600,000 of them. And the scriptures say, and Pharaoh forgot Joseph. And so now, these aren't people to help them. These are people who are seen as a threat, and so they begin that Pharaoh enslaves the Jews. And as he enslaves the Jews... They're getting kind of tired of it, and it's like, it's the Moses, let my people go. So he raises up this other guy who's a, called Moses, who apparently doesn't speak well in front of groups. He, he's, he, I mean, there's so many connections. Like, he, he's, you know, floated in the water. We're not going to, there's just too much to do. Um, but God is going to talk with Moses, and he's going to say, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Because he's praying to God, bring us some relief. So he goes, okay, so this is, this is kind of a cool part, too. There's lots of cool parts in this. God is going to speak to Moses through this burning bush. And as he's speaking to Moses in this burning bush, Moses is going to go, uh, so who do I say sent me? Right? And what's he tell him? What's he telling I am, right? What it, God chooses, this is, this is so philosophically and theologically in the stratosphere. God chooses a description of himself as just pure being. He uses a version of the, of the verb to be as his name. It was like, what? It was great, right? And so, um, so he goes and he tells Pharaoh, you know, let my people go. How much time we got here? All right, we got time. 
So, uh, so what, what, what Moses is going to do is he's going to go to Pharaoh and he's going to say, let my people go. No, no, no. Well, I'm going to show you what this guy's like. So, so he goes there and he's got these, he goes up and he throws his rod down. To, and this is like, you're going to, you know, maybe a little liberty here. But he's going to go in there and he's, to show the power of God, he throws the rod down and becomes a snake. Pharaoh's got magicians in there. He goes, oh, no, I can do that. <laughs> All right, so, you know, go get Walid over here and come bring him in and let him show him make this snake. And so he makes this. They can do it. Then he goes, so the first curse is, I'm going to turn your water to blood. And they're like, you can do that, right? And so they, they put him out, and he turns the waters in Egypt to blood. And Pharaoh's magicians can make it sort of, but they can't do it as thoroughly because they got stuff coming up in fountains. They got blood that their livestock can't eat. They dig a hole, blood comes out of the hole. I mean, it's like this is a thorough going. And they, and they stop. And because the magicians can do a few parlor tricks, Pharaoh goes, nah, it's not good enough. And then he starts this thing. This ever-increasing thing that, you know, he's going to send him lice, and he's going to send him frogs, and he's going to send him locusts, and he's going to do all these things. And as they're going through this, Pharaoh's going to go, all right, Moses, let's stop this. And a couple times, even, Pharaoh is going, I know I have sinned against your God. He's going to say that. Well, Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. But who else is going to harden Pharaoh's heart? God. Yeah, right? God's going to harden his heart. Now, why would he do that? Why is he going to do that? And how is that going to be made? Because that's what he tells Moses. I'm going to do this because I'm going to show you how great my name is, and it's going to be proclaimed. But what better way can you do it than to just make it worse and worse and more intense then he's going to send one of the plagues. He's going to send his darkness. And the, go ahead. I'm the, darkness. All right. So he's going to send this plague that it's darkness. And this is like, it's nine, right? Isn't that the ninth one? Yeah, thank you. Uh, he's going to send his plague darkness. But what it says, anybody know how it, how it can, uh, how it's sort of, portrayed in there. He's going to say darkness, but there's going to be some other quality to this darkness. Anybody know what it is? Anybody heard it? Right? You're going to be able to feel it. And there's darkness for three days. And here's what God is doing. He's going down this list of animals. He's going down this list of plagues, and he's mocking all the gods of Egypt. You bring Ra out here, and make it make the sun come out. The God of the sun. You get your God of the sun and you fix this. And it's like, he comes and begs. Then he makes it, then, then God relents, right? But there's one more. And this is the one, this is the mic drop, right? 
And he tells Moses, we're going to, we're leaving. Now we're going to leave. Because he has taken this to this point, but he's not slammed the door on it yet. And he, we know the story of the Passover and this great thing that God is going to do and this picture of what Christ does for us. And you sacrifice this lamb. It's got to be this kind of lamb. You got to eat it this way. Don't eat this part. Put the blood on your door lintels and posts. And the angel of death is coming through and it's going to affect all the animals. It's going to affect all the people. And then he'll let you go. But prior to that, he goes, well, go talk to your neighbors because Egyptians are going to pay for this, right? You go talk to your neighbors and ask them for silver and you go ask them for gold. And then we, and then we see the angel of death is going to come through Egypt and it's just going to be laying waste to, these, to what's going on in there. Uh, and then we're going to see this amazing picture of the, of the Passover that will be celebrated in the upper room and through the death and the resurrection of Christ. And we're going to see the people are saved by Moses. And they're going to take, and so the balance of like uh, Exodus through, excuse me, through um, Deuteronomy is going to be Moses getting the people to the promised land. And then Joshua is going to take them in. And it's kind of interesting. I always thought this is, um, we should be encouraged in some cases by this. You know, when Moses is prevented by God from going into the promised land, you know, it's kind of interesting about God. His yes is yes and his no is no. And it's not Moses goes up, can you have a little grace here? Just one more time. You know, that's how we kind of wheedle with our parents and stuff. And God said, no, if you do this, this is going to happen. It's how God does it. It's how he does it every time. If it's, it's this sort of covenantal type of relationship. If this is the covenant. You can believe it. You cannot believe it, but you can't change it. And so while, what's the word I'm looking for? My thesaurus doesn't work anymore. Uh, while um, God has pronounced this thing, he doesn't not love Moses. He's going to make provision for Moses. I'm going to let you see the promised land. But the ramifications of your sin early on is going to prevent you from going in. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean you get to, you know, that also doesn't mean you get to, well, okay, you can do it this time. It's not that. But I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to use you. And we're still going to march forward. So how are we doing so far? Is that it? Oh, we have time for a puppet show. So Blake, you got Blake's doing the puppet show. Um, so anyway, so we they're just just as beautiful pictures that we see in the Pentateuch, and almost everything any stuff happens later on. There are doctrinal things that will be established. The, it, the kings and prophets of Israel will refer to, and thus said the Lord, and as it says in Scripture, and as that, and it's just almost always going back to the Pentateuch. Because it's also basic. It's also very basic to this. Um, any questions or comments? Don't need comments. <laughs> I'm teasing. All right. Anything else we have? Okay.